Have you ever thought about starting your own podcast? When I was trying to get this podcast off the ground, I had a lot of questions. How do I record an episode? How do I get my show into all the apps people like to listen to? You know, Spotify, Anchor, Apple, etc., etc. How do I make money from my podcast? The answer to every one of these questions is really simple. Anchor. Anchor is a one-stop shop for recording, hosting, and distributing your podcast. Best of all, it's 100% free. Who doesn't love free? And ridiculously easy to use. And now, Anchor can match you with great sponsors who want to advertise on your podcast. That means you can get paid to podcast right away. In fact, that's what I'm doing right now by reading this ad. That's right. Free platform, free sponsorship. What more could you ask for? So if you've always wanted to start a podcast, make money doing it, etc., go to anchor.fm slash start, anchor.fm slash start to join me and the diverse community of podcasters already using Anchor. Once again, that's anchor.fm slash start. I can't wait to hear your podcast. Please get started. It's all love. This is a great space for the creative Anchor podcast. Once again, that's anchor.fm slash start. Hello, hello. Hey, Thomas. How are y'all? I'm doing great. Doing great this afternoon. An intelligent podcast. I have a very special guest with me today. And, you know, I just want to thank everybody for liking, subscribing, commenting, and uh, giving me feedback. And uh, with my guest, can you go ahead and introduce yourself? How's your day going? Absolutely. My day is going well. My name is Tasha Katz. I am an attorney in Charleston, South Carolina. Um, I specialize in family law. Um, I dabble a little in criminal and estate planning, but my main um, bread and butter is family law. Mm, family law, the family business. I, can you just elaborate a little bit, you know, uh, what sparked your interest getting into the law field before we dive, dive a little bit deeper? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm originally from Michigan and growing up. Oh, in- yes. Yeah. That's what's up. <laughs> yeah. I'm from okay. Michigan and I grew up in a very, very small town. Um, from a young age, I always knew I wanted to be an attorney. Everyone told me I would be an attorney. I argued a lot. Um, and <laughs> I just always had to be right. So I figured if that was the way that life was going, then I might as well use my, um, you know, my assets I would like to call them and uh, so I um, left Michigan after I um, graduated and then I moved to Charleston for law school wow so can you just tell me you know in the audience what 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 was it like adjusting you know (laughs) coming from a town like the Midwest going down south especially transitioning you know uh from you know like you said a small town you're very family oriented mm-hmm. you know it's very intimate to a whole new experience a whole new city uh chasing your dream absolutely so when i decided to go to law school i got into michigan state i got into um you know tom cooley all schools in michigan and i thought maybe i should go to school here but coming from the small town that i came from Um, Mm -hmm. They just have no resources. Um, So before I became an attorney, I thought I wanted to be a public 
wanted to, as same as everyone else, you know, you want to go into the law and you want to help people. You want to be the public defender and you get that fancy case and you get the innocent man, you know, all. Right. But, um, you know, you quickly realize um, in small communities like that, that there are no, um, you know, there are no resources to help people. There are no, mo- there's no money. There are no treatment centers within, you know, a close distance, Medicare, Medicaid, they don't pay for things. Um, they don't have drug court or mental health court. Um, and so those were all big, those were all big issues for me when it came to wanting to be an attorney. You know, I wanted to help people and coming from a community just didn't have the resources to help people. Yeah, you you wanted you wanted to not only you know if I win your case or I work your case, but it's about the overall help, right? Right. The expensive part of right. it, because right. we are right. Go, go ahead and elaborate. Yeah, where I'm from, you know, um, addiction to drugs is very very high. You know, methamphetamine oh is a God. huge issue. Opioids are a huge issue. You know. And I, you know, personally, you know, I've had family members affected by it. I've had friends affected. I've, you know, watched the Same here. Yeah. <laughs> so for me, you know, it it was just so disheartening to see all these people just being locked up, you know. And I, it never made sense to me why our judicial system, you know, and at a time I, I was like, what is happening? Like there's, there is no, you know, there's no hope for these people. And, you know, that's sort of why I wanted to move to a bigger city because to me, you know, addiction is a mental health issue. Addiction needs to be addressed differently than just being locked up, you know, and, um, you know, recidivism shows that, you know, jail and prison, they don't, that doesn't help addicts, you know, so um, addiction and, you know, that issue and drugs, that's only increasing. So our prison population is increasing full of people who are addicted to drugs, which is, like I said, disheartening because these people don't need prison. You know, they need help. They need addiction and counselor specialists. You know, they need resources other than just giving them 30 days and, you know, or letting them hang themselves up with misdemeanor after misdemeanor. Right. And not only that, you know, that just goes further into um, gauging your purpose. You know, you, you went specifically into family because you've seen the effects drugs have on families. You know, you see what not having resources and not having accessibility to different things has an effect on family, which correlates directly into uh, the specific part of law that you deal with. And I think that's very important and imperative for people to understand. When you're going into something, no, it's not going to be easy. It's going to be a tackle. It's, it's going to be a lot of tasks to do. No, it's However, never easy, actually. Uh, never, especially in that long <laughs> You know, so it's, it's you have to be hard. persistent. You know, you have to work hard. You have to be resourceful and be valuable so that when you do meet these families, so you do have to help these people, you're not only going up the state or the city or whatever, but you can have outside sources come and help those right. families as well. Exactly. And smaller, you know, smaller communities, that's those just aren't attainable, which is so unfortunate for these people and these families. Um, and, you know, and as awful as it is to say, but it's, you know, not just the families who I know are directly affected, but it's also our communities that are affected. You know, the, the children in the welfare system are, you know, our jails are everything's filling up because these people don't have adequate resources to take care of their issues 
if they were went mm. to address, you know, addiction in your local city. I mean, I grew up in a very small, I went to high school with 46 students at a public school. If there was a drug court there with a rehabilitation program, I have, I'm very confident to say that less kids would have been taken away from their parents, you know, or less aunts and uncles raising children, things along those lines. Mm. I definitely know the feeling, you know, when you come up in the inner city, uh, what, what part of Michigan did you grow up in? About uh, 30 minutes south of Kalamazoo. Oh, yeah, very very rural area, yes. very small. Yes. But I come from actually inner city, Detroit, Michigan. Mm-hmm. And like I said, you know, from the family abuse and then seeing the uh, after effects, even to a degree to this day, you know what I'm saying, with our families and how it can be a bit dysfunctional <laughs> and, and disheartening being the root cause of those addictions, being the root cause of those traumas mm-hmm. you know and a lot of people aren't even aware where to go for medical help or who to go to for um you know to get help not only with themselves but once they're good how do i help my family right. you know how do i continue to help my family because you got some people who've been addicted for years right. so how do i fix and and mend years of you know battling my addiction and breaking up my family ultimately ultimately uh, my community you know could you go ahead and, and elaborate on that absolutely you know and i think uh, you know a huge issue is it kind of is a slippery slope for families because you know a lot of families are one parent families or working families you know my mom worked her whole life my parents are divorced and my brothers and me we were home a lot by ourselves you know and if we wanted wow. to, you know, live a life where we went out and just, you know, I mean, I'm not going to say in my small town full of farm people that <laughs> we were getting into too many issues, but, you know, um, I think that's why it's, you see so many juvenile delinquents, you know, and um, the system filling up in that aspect is because they don't, there's no supervision or after school programs or, you know, your, yeah, they your reputation. Yeah, your reputation. If your brother's a gangbanger, you know, your reputation precedes that. And, you know, there's automatically giving up on you. And there's just all these, that's how I think about our legal system um, is if we don't have the resources, whether it's judicial or whether it's schooling or after school programs or, you know, going down to be able to go to the local, you know, food pantry or there's all these issues. And so people have to acquire things somehow, whether it's if mom's not home, my brother's gone with his friends, I have to do something, you know, so the issues just arise and you, you can sit back and watch it and the effect that it has. I wanted to, for a while, I thought I wanted to work with juveniles. And I had a seven-year-old mm-hmm. tell me that he liked my titties. And he was seven. And oh I was just like, how, you know, like I'm thinking about my seven-year-old cousins and she's still playing with Barbies and they're, you know, they just love. Yeah, some kids exposed earlier than right. others, it's, you know, that's not healthy. It's but a it's, huge it's issue. Reality. And that's the effect that you know, seeing something a certain way your whole life has on you, whether you think about it or not. The seven-year-old's life is going to be completely different than seven-year-old life just because of the way, you know, whether his family is, you know, is, or they don't have the ability, he, he can't go to space camp or, you know, 
that's my biggest issue is I, I never blame, especially with juveniles, I never blame the child. Um, I always try to find the root of the issue there because I always, I, I truly believe that they have seen things and they are just tra- trying to get by the only way they know how. Yeah, a lot of kids are, are, are traumatized, you know, and sometimes um, we live, we, we have like even the school system support, right? When it comes to counselors or guidance mm-hmm. counselors, things of that nature, their lives are so overwhelmed right. personally. Then they come to these schools with these children, right, with their traumas mm-hmm. and their triggers. If you see, <clears throat> excuse me, you see in the news how, you know, they even mess with these kids who was already probably being messed right. with or you know they they're battling an addiction of their own as, as mm-hmm. teachers and counselors and they're coming into these classrooms and these school buildings with kids who have the same woes right you know so it's almost like you're you're putting in a big melting pot of dysfunction from not only the personnel but the students as well so who's really getting help who's really helping who right you, know? you, you have a couple good seeds but then of course they're so overworked and underpaid that they just can't keep up you know man at all and I think that's I think that's uh, that's unfair and unfortunate right because that only will lead to a, a, a worse community <laughs> you know a, a, a community with more even more uh, violence even more crime even more drug infestation or drug use from not having uh, the proper medical treatment mentally and psychology, psychologically <laughs> For the kid or for the adolescent, for the adult, nobody's gotten help all their lives. Right. You know? That's what I mean. The and lack of the resources definitely has the effect. Yeah. And the, and the system rejects these people because all their life they've been looking for help. And then the justice system never justifies anything, really. And they're just back in the streets and it's like the same cycle, generation after generation. Right. That's what, that's what makes it so hard. Um, you know, as an attorney, for me to want to practice in the town I grew up in, I would, I worry, and I was concerned that I would be a part of that cycle. You know, eventually it's just, it's just another drug case. Let's, let's another plea, you know, and I don't, yeah. I cherish my career and I love to help people. And I, I don't want to be a part of that cause, you know, and I want to do better, you know, and I want to be a part, I want to make someone's life better. I don't want to just become part of the cycle. Yeah, and not only the cycle, but you don't want to be just another, you know, a fish in that political scheme of of injustice, (laughs) you know, of of being unjust and being, you know, not seeing people as human beings. I think that's another thing too, like we don't humanify other people. So we look at them through a a different scope, maybe maybe some TV or ads or movies. I don't know, you know, some variety of things. But sometimes we prejudge. Therefore, we aren't pulling putting our hundred percent efforts into helping people, right? right? Because maybe we didn't come from that, or we weren't around that. That doesn't mean that because you come from a certain area or a certain background, you're still not affected by certain things. Absolutely. Some people are just affected by different things. Right. And if you're in a position to help people, right, regardless of your background, race, or ethnicity, you should help people because that's what people should do. Human, right. humanize, humanize people and stop criminalizing uh, off a prejudged notion. You know, I would like, you know, I, I would like to, I confidently about wanting to do well. You know, wanting to help. When I started, when I wanted to be a lawyer, I did it because I wanted to 
be the change and help people. I think that um, even as attorneys that we, you know, we try so hard and after so long of getting beat down or getting told no or things along those lines, you know, we also become, <laughs> I don't want to say, you know, we just become part of the issue. Mm-hmm. And not only a part of the issue, but, you know, once you're a part of the issue so long, I think something in your soul has to go back to why you started doing what you were right. doing in order to say, you know what, let me, you know, because everybody has to make a living, everybody has to take care of themselves and their family. So sometimes we jeopardize, you know, certain morals, I guess, for most people just to get a check and get ahead. And they miss the whole value of helping other people. Mm-hmm you know what they're doing especially in law so it's like okay do I work within the system to try to break the system or do I keep pushing uh, more moral and more um, sufficient ideas and strategy to, to push the old justice system antics out the way right you really you know, do we keep to. pushing forward and breaking barriers or do we just stay in the same cycle of you scratch my back, I scratch yours. Right. Don't worry about that. That's not as important. But we have to look at every issue with a certain sense of urgency. Right. I think, you know, I try to tell you, I just actually told um, one of my friends the other day, as a family law attorney, I people think it's such a tough career because of your clients. You know, most family law clients are very needy and they always want people... You, they always want, they need to be, have all of your attention. But what I told someone is, it's for me, it's not the clients that are, you know, so the worst. It's working with an opposing counsel who forgets why they started law. Um, for me, it's not just another case. You know, the person that's sitting in front of me has a child. And if him and mom aren't agreeing right now, I need to get them to a point where they're going to agree on something because they have a child, you know, so this is their life. For me, it's, for me, I can walk away. I leave this office. I don't have to deal with a child. I don't have to deal with this man's life, but he's got to deal with this woman for the next 18 years because they have a child together. So when it comes to push and shove with an attorney, I'm more along the lines where we need to get to some sort of agreement because this family needs to be a family, you know, I'll put that in Mm -hmm. quotes, family based on what family whatever family is anymore but essentially they need to work together to make this kid's life not miserable i think a lot of attorneys lose sight of that yes not only lose sight but you know we work around that law practice or you know in that environment for so long you really see that it's not necessarily the case that's stressful it's people like you just said it's the council Mm -hmm. right because it's like hey you know why are you fighting me on how to help this person be better and get back right Right? like it's a constant fight like what are you what are you trying to uphold because if this was you on the other end like you got to really do that when you work in that profession you got to think about you in that circumstance think if you were that traumatized think if you were um had had that much negligence uh done done to you from a parent you weren't loved you weren't cared for watched after you didn't care you, you know, just imagine if you weren't careful. Right. Yeah, that's a you huge know? issue. I think attorney, I think sometimes people forget to, you know, take, sometimes I have to do, I have to take a step back and remind myself, this is, this is not just another case or file on my desk. This is a family. This is, 
these are people whose lives are affected. This is real. Right. <laughs> these are lives that are affected by me. And some days I'm just like, I don't know who gave me that license, but you know, so far I think people are yeah. happy about it, but it's a lot of responsibility. Yes, it is. And it's, it also, some, you know, with a profession like that, and when you're talking about specifically dealing with uh, family cases, I always have to question an attorney in regards to, you know, how did you really grow up? You know, did you grow up with your family being dysfunctional or was it put together or, you know, you, you kind of want to dig into the psychology of these people and their background because I'm giving you my money and my time and my effort. So I need to know who I'm working with. And I don't know if that's just a personality trait with me. I like to build relationships first. Right. So I need to get to know you well, so I know how well you're going to treat my case. Right. No, I have had right. people. Let's I've, build. I've had people question me about, you know, I, I I'm always up front. I don't have children, but I have a dog, and I know I don't know if that's offensive, but I bet I love her just as much as you love your <laughs> child, you know. And I would fight and give up yeah. every penny for her if I had to go to a custody battle. Um, but you know, I I always you know use the example that you know, I am in a, a region where we do have drug courts. And the way I grew up, you know, I had a family members that were addicted to drugs. I was personally affected by that. So I have a soft spot, and I don't have very many of them. Um, but I have a soft spot for people who are in drug court and going through the program. So especially moms or dads who are trying to get their children back. You know, I've personally seen someone addicted to drugs and let their whole life go and, you know, rehabilitate and they have gotten their children back and they're, you know, they're great parents today. So for me, um, I know it's possible. So that's where my soft spot comes in. Um, so I have no issue taking a drug court client um, and working my ass off to make sure, you know, that that, and I tell the client, if you, if you test dirty, if, you know, I'll put it in my contract, if you test dirty, you know, if you fail out of drug court, like I'm done. Because I have all of the faith in you. I want you to beat this just as much as you do. But I can only do what, you know, I can only do so much here. Yeah, it's a share, it's a share of responsibility. And I think that's what you premise when you're working with any client, especially when you're dealing with a team. You have to adjust your team and adjust the client and say, hey, you know, we're in this right. together. You know, if you if you're not if you're not genuine with um your work ethic and what you need to do to, to make this better. I don't know if I can put my 100% in because right. you aren't. You know, it's a, it's 100% matching 100%. To me, it's never 50-50. Right. It's about, I need you to match this 100 and match my 100 because the system is working against both of us. Right. That's what a lot of people don't realize. You know, so it's like, hey, we need to work together. We need to build trust. We need to build uh, some solidarity because if we don't, they can easily manipulate the situation in this case. Is right, funny. easily. It's already, yeah, like you, know? you said, the Easy. everything is already against us. And I know that it's an uphill battle, but I'm willing to take that opportunity and that chance because I've seen it happen. I've seen it be successful in the past. So I am, I will advocate for you. I will do everything. But like I said before, you know, this is a family. So I also have to think about that child, you know, like before I said, the parents have to work together. Well, why am I going to work so hard for you to get back in your child's life if you're not going to work hard for it? Mm -hmm. And, you know, with you just being a young woman going into that field in general, 
Uh, did you face any adversity or, or any hardships you think uh, versus, you know, your male counterparts? Well, I'm not too sure if uh, Charleston is a very, um, you know, it's a very older, you know, very southern city. Um, and I, you know, I've, I've been, I've been in situations where men have been very condescending to me. Um, I specifically had one attorney tell me that I'm a very young attorney, um, you know, and my, what does that even, <laughs> you know, and you know, my, my response to that was, well, I can read case law, you know, so just go over, send it to me, you know, maybe if you know something, I don't know, like, I'll let you know, but I think the law's the same for you and I, no matter what the age, you know. Um, right. But as a female, um, I am very, very, I'm very pro-female, but I also do not believe that we should play, you know, the victim card or anything like that. I I worked my ass off to get where I am. Um, no one handed me a trust fund. No one paid, I mean, you know, I have student loans, you know, no one in my family has a college degree. So I worked to get where I am today. So um, for me, I already feel like a very independent woman um, just naturally. So when I encounter a man um, in the field, you know, I I just give it back. Um, Charleston's very small, so we have a reputation to uphold. So I will always approach it in a very respectful manner. Um, however, I have no issue with um, we like to call it in the legal field, you know, aggressively advocating for my client. Uh, <laughs> of course. So of course, there are going to be instances of that anywhere. Um, and I, you know, I think as a female attorney, I, you know, just am trying to empower other female attorneys just to keep in mind that we are already the underdog in a very Southern male world. So why let's not play victim to that let's just do better let's rise above it you know so i'm very you know female supporting females i'm a mentor to young women attorneys um i speak to the law school classes i go into the high schools and the middle schools um career days and i'm just trying to do my part as a female attorney um to empower young women to know that you know even if even if we are the minority at this point in time, we don't have to let that be our setback. Yeah, don't let that be, you know, you guys, don't let that be right. your end all be all because for so long, right, there's always been a stigma, not only against, you know, your age and, and your knowledge pertaining to the field. Yes, I'm, I'm new and, and things like that, but I can bring new Absolutely. ideas. I can bring new dynamics. I can bring a fresher perspective mm -hmm. Uh, versus, you know, more seasoned people, and that goes for mm -hmm, anything. Right. You know, never, never die, never put yourself in a position where you're digressing because you're not accepting the youth. The youth is what changes the systems. The youth is what revolutionizes the same systems that you uphold. So it's important that you get that same energy into your council and into your firms or any job or any career field because they're the ones that's going to spark that's something right. new. And maybe it could be better for whatever uh, field you're you're really strictly uh, and, and delved in. So it's like, hey, 
take a chance on the youth because somebody took a chance on you. Absolutely. And you just have to remind, you know, women and young males even, you know, um, of course there are minority males, you know, who don't think that they can afford to go to law school or they can afford to go to medical school because their family doesn't have money compared to the white, you know, like the kid next to them in class whose parents, you know, he has a trust fund. And I don't think of, you know, that kid any differently than from a young female. Um, But it's just letting both of those, you know, minority students know that you can do it if you work your ass off and you do it. And then at some point you develop this confidence where you're like, well, I've made it this far. So clearly I'm doing something right. (laughs) And not only that, you know, it's it's a confidence. It's about staying consistent. It's about believing in you before you even step into a law program, the law field, a law office, courtroom. It's really about your character. How are you built? You know, because a lot of times people can get into circumstances where they can have the money, they can have the resources, yet they're not built to handle what goes with uh, trials and tribulations. You know, a lot of people break, you know, and that's important to, to highlight because we, we, we might not have what another person has, but the reality of it is, what do you have, right? You can't really worry about anyone else. What do you have? What is it about you that'll get you to where you right. want to go? And know? I think, you know, always being supportive and, you know, empowering, whether it's a woman or just a young, you know, any kind of person who doesn't feel like they have whatever it is that they need, you know, giving them that empowerment and encouragement is more than you and I would even be able to understand. Um, you know, those words of that empowerment for that individual could make or break their whole life. So why not just, why not just do it? Right. You know, and what you elaborated on earlier that I give you credit for is just taking a right. chance on yourself. You know, you, you didn't limit you didn't limit your successes or you didn't limit uh, your dream, your goal. You came from a small town uh, you know, the background wasn't as, as, as bright and rainbows and sunny skies and everything mm-hmm. like that, you know, and you went against the grain, even with all the great that's against exactly. you, you know, so that's so beautiful to me because that takes a certain level of courage, you know, and faith in what you're, what, what you're trying to accomplish, and I commend you for that. Yeah. And I love that about young people, period. You know, take a chance on yourself and don't limit your goal. Don't limit your ambition. Don't limit that fire up in you to do something. You can't, yeah, you have to just have a little confidence in yourself that maybe, maybe you don't need to stay in that small community. Like maybe branching out was the best thing that I've ever done. I love going home. My family and my Mm. friends are there. Um, but I have built an entire life. I have my own practice. I am a successful attorney and I'm under 30 years old. Um, so me stepping out and branching out, you know, it took, it took a realization for me to say, I, it's okay. I don't, I don't need to stay in this small community. I don't need to be here. It's okay. If I leave my family members, even, you know, I can do all of this and build my own life and still be a part of that community I still go home I still see my friends I still family and go to I go and I see them um but it's also okay that I have my own life yeah and that's important to build things it's okay not only to be um uncomfortable going into a new circumstance Mm -hmm. because like life everything we do that's new it's going to be uncomfortable for the most part we have to 
put more emphasis on what we right. want and what we can do for ourselves. You can't right? feel bad because about if it. you don't, you can't feel bad about it, right? You you gotta let whatever everyone else is gonna think or feel, mm-hmm. you gotta leave that where it's at, Absolutely. right? Because you have a picture, you have a goal, you have something you need to accomplish. And if you feel like a certain area or a certain circumstance is holding you back, build up the faith and the confidence enough to know if I leave it, I'll still be okay. Right? right? Because you got that belief in you. Right. And that's very important. Very important. Doesn't matter uh, if it's a family thing or a boyfriend, girlfriend, you really have to make what we call sacrifices mm-hmm. in order to get to where you get to. Absolutely. I agree with that 100%. In the family law and in the criminal world, there's nothing better to have than, you know, I'm not saying go full blown. I don't think you should be a family law attorney if you're very emotional. It, it would take its toll on you for sure. But, you know, sometimes all people need is someone just to say, I understand what you're going through. I have never been married. I haven't had a divorce. However, I understand the situation you're in. It's very tenuous and stressful. And here's what I can do to help you. Or here's what we can do to move forward. And just saying something as little as that just changes their entire demeanor. So for me, that's something that I, you know, had to develop because when I came to law school, I had it and I wanted to be this public defender. I wanted to help people. And law school made you very hard and robotic. And then once I got out, that did not work in my world. You know, no one wants a family law attorney that says, hey, get out of my office if you're going to cry. Um, it is very, you know, a high stress and a high emotional um, career, especially in family law. And um, I did have to develop that um, a little bit back into my practice. So um, it was a learning experience, definitely. Yeah, man, that's that's important to, to know. You know, and that's important to also be empathetic. You know, don't just be be genuine with it. Don't be fake right. with the emotion. Right. People can tell. Absolutely. You know, like you said, you, you work in these people cases. They're spending their time, their money. Nine times out of ten, they don't want to do it because they don't want to expose their situation. They feel vulnerable. Mm-hmm. You know, so the worst thing you can do uh, in any practice in regards to law is not be empathetic. It's not be understanding. Right. It's not connecting with your clients because once you build that disconnect or you have an automatic disconnect with the person based off the energy they're giving you, it's kind of hard to trust them with your case. Right. Or that they care or that, you know, that you, they're not just like we said before, they're not just another case on our desk. You know, they have to know that we are taking this seriously and like we understand and, you know, we're there for them. Um, these people are, if any, they're trusting their lives in your hands, which is a huge responsibility. And, they want to be able to trust you and they want to be able to, um, you know, be able, they have to tell us their deepest and darkest secrets, whether, you know, they committed adultery or they, you know, did you know, beat their children. These are all issues that they have to tell us whether they're proud of it or not. But as attorneys, we have to know that. So we have to develop some sort of empathy to be able to relate and to show these clients that we do care and they're not just another file on our desk. Yes, you know, um, the, the tension in law with a lot of people, you already have, once again, on the flip side, a preconceived notion that attorneys aren't here to help us, they're here to help the system, which right. we know with, with most people that's the case, you know, but for <laughs> the most part, you have to, now I, I tell people, get knowledge on your own sometimes, right. right? So that when you bring it to a person, 
it just brings more clarity on your case, mm-hmm. right? Because if I have a, a certain situation going on, I just don't want to leave everything into another person's hands. It doesn't matter if it's an attorney or especially attorneys. You know, you want to get a little bit of information. You want to know a little bit about a little bit so that when you present your case and you need help, you're not just completely blindsided. They can tell you anything, do anything, for anything in writing. Right. You, you, you know, you have to be on your, on your P's and Q's when it comes to uh, working with these attorneys because necessarily you... You don't want to feel like you're working for yourself or working right. for your own, you know, just on the flip side of things. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And I think if you, the more, you know, the more prepared and the more knowledge and, um, you know, just on my own website, I tell people, you know, do your research. Come to me with a list of questions. Tell me what your concerns and your, you know, your legal questions are. That's why I'm here. So if you have, you know, you know something about the law and your retirement, come and ask me about that. You, I don't expect you to know the percentage or anything along those lines. And that's my job. But as, you know, a consumer of my services, um, I expect you to have some sort of questions and some sort of issues that I need to resolve for you. Yeah. Just build awareness. Right. You know, that, that's, all it, that's all it really is. It's not... We don't need to know everything. Everything isn't to be figured out. But the more information, the, the better the case can be, you know, handled. Absolutely. You know, and that has to go both ways. So it's like, yo, I need to let you know about my personal, you know, my finances. Mm-hmm. This is the real issue of the relationship dynamic. Right. Uh, this is the root cause of why my child is this way. And the attorney also has to say, you know what? Well, this law or this issue or mm-hmm. what this defines is specifically to your you know to your problem right it's very specific to your needs right we have to be so transparent that nothing gets construed or confused when you get in the court absolutely it's like hey if i don't have any clarity or you're not giving me no clarity or this is sounding too wishy-washy or all over the place i'm, I'm already going with, with the other side <laughs> right you have to remember Just that flow of information. yeah you have to remember that um the client is in the best position to determine what they want done with their life. Um, I don't, if you don't tell me the details, I don't know the details of your life. I don't know what it's like when you and mom drop the kid off at basketball practice and mom picks him up, or I don't know what the drop-offs are like. I don't know uh, what the hostility or the animosities are between y'all until I get told that. There's nothing I can assure you, and I say this with confidence, that attorneys hate more than being caught off guard in court. Do not tell me that you do not use drugs or that you have not had an affair and then we get into the courtroom and they have a private investigator report of you having an affair. I assure you, your attorney will not be happy. <laughs> At all. No. That's, that, that discovery process is everything. Yeah, absolutely. I'm trying to tell everything. That discovery process is everything. <laughs> one small detail you leave out, I'm, I'm telling you, makes a big difference in courtroom. Right. And right. as we attorneys, have- we don't care. I don't <laughs> care if you had an affair. I could give a crap if you had an affair four right. times. I need to know how I can fix this and what my defense to you having an affair is. You know, and I certainly can't help you with a defense if I'm caught off guard in, in court with it. You know, that's, that's not how we roll. <laughs> right. Not only that, man, you, you're protecting yourself. So the more information you offer, the more you're protecting yourself because your attorney knows every detail. Right. At least to your cause and your matters. Like, if you're already here, if you're already in my office, it's better yet 
you know, it's, it's, it's your best bet to be as vulnerable and mm-hmm. transparent as possible. Because nine times out of ten, or you know, you got some red attorneys out there, a hundred percent of the time, they're going to find that dirt. They're going right? to find that. <laughs> they're going to find that that little addiction you had or whatever. Like people are going to find out. People are resourceful out here. You know, yeah. so it's, it's it's better to be mindful um, to present as much information as possible that's delicate to your case, so your attorney mm-hmm. can help you and be more resourceful and be more informed, so right. they can help you, you know, get your win and, and, and support your children and get that help you need and get that support you need. Right, <laughs> we have to know though. Yes, and and before we wrap up, I just want to ask you, you know. Um, why didn't you really pursue any other, you know, like criminal law or, you know, the civil cases per se? Why didn't you go as hard and, and, and focus in on that? Was it because of the level of difficulty or you already had in your mindset that, hey, I'm going to just strictly deal with or prioritize uh, family matters? You know, mm-hmm. what, what was the really the, the cause of you strictly going with family versus everything else? Right. Absolutely. So, um, like I said, I, you know, do, I have some criminal cases and some estate planning, but family law has really just became my niche. Um, and I mean, I knew a long time ago, I never wanted to be a civil attorney. Um, it's just a completely different ball game. Not when it comes to, um, I mean, some, some civil attorneys, they have it rough. That's just not the life that I wanted. They work very, very, you know, 80 hours a week and, um, you know, they, on cases, they don't get a lot of courtroom time. Um, it was just a different kind of legal world than what I wanted to be in. I knew quickly in law school, I wanted to be on the, I wanted to be in court. I wanted to be, you know, face to face with people. That's the kind of attorney that I am. And so, um, family law just has really taken off. And like I said before, um, I surprised myself in doing family law. And when people ask me why I tell them, I think I'm good at it because um, you know, I, I don't get overly emotional when I leave here, I leave here, work stays here. I don't take it home. It doesn't, you know, um, it doesn't have, uh, the important. <laughs> it doesn't, you know, take, take precedent over my life. And it's really hard for people to do that. And I think that's what makes me, and you know, I'll toot my own horn, but makes me a good family law attorney. Um, and I keep getting referrals from clients, so I know I must have done something right in their case, you know. So um, I think it, that's really just kind of how my niche developed in family law. I never would have thought that I'd be here, but now that I'm here, I don't regret it, and I think that I'm pretty good at it. Yes, you know, separation from your career and personal life is, is so key, you know, because sometimes especially when you deal with like family cases or really a state in any estate and family those two you're definitely emotionally invested while you're there right you know because you're dealing with people's livelihoods you're dealing with uh the children yeah you you know so it's it's different you're really you're really in the midst of of the the hardship and the reality of a lot of people not wanting to give up certain rights people not wanting to let go of relationships let go of the marriage so they'll just fight to the end burn all the money uh, out, of, out of selfishness right you know so we have to learn that yo we can't get caught up in the energy uh families are on or couples are on or a specific person Absolutely. because at the end of the day i'm my own individual i need my sanity right. i need my health i gotta work through my own problems right. i may have legal problems too <laughs> right. you know so it's really about 
uh, learning to be so disciplined in your craft that you don't let it affect you uh, to the point where you don't love it anymore. You, have, you know, yeah, you have to definitely take time for yourself. If there's anything, you know, family law, like I said before in the beginning, family law clients are very needy, but you have to, I, you have to think of it in a way as this is their life. When dad doesn't show up to return the children, the first people they call is their attorney. If it's after hours, you know this is their life so it's when I don't answer my phone the children aren't there your attorney's not answering you you know but at some point you can't give all hundred of your clients your cell phone number to call you when you know dad doesn't show up with the kids so um you know I think yeah. a huge part a of being, yeah being a good attorney is you know giving your clients the correct resources who to call etc because you need to take the time to disconnect from your work if you let it consume you, I, I truly, truly believe you will um, develop a dissatisfaction with it. Yes. And, you know, I, I really appreciate your time, your opinions, and, and really just your dedication to your craft. Uh, it's, it's very profound. You know, another Michigander, <laughs> yes, you know, right. just going out and, and doing something great and, and motivating other people in the process. And you, you always, you know, before a check comes and, and you know in that law business <laughs> that can be a bit of a hassle oh yeah you know at first, when you first starting out but you got to be in, in those kind of professions it has to be a passion right Absolutely. you know and i just I just really love your passion towards what you're doing Thank you. passion towards the family and the children and just knowing the the harsh reality of growing up in cities where opioids and, and addiction needs to be treated you know with, with, with urgency you know with delicacy oh. this is yeah. affecting communities you know it's an epidemic it's out of control and you know and you go could you go ahead as well and uh shout out you know your business name and social media pages you know yeah. let it all out absolutely so my uh law firm is the law office of tasha j Katz. um i'm in charleston south carolina I have a Facebook page. Again, it's the law office of Tasha Katz. Um, there's an Instagram handle. Basically, it's the law office of Tasha Katz. Um, yeah, so uh, just rooting for all of my Michiganders, um, especially the you know minorities in the small towns who don't think that they can do it. You, you can absolutely get the hell out of there and make better of your life, I assure you. Most definitely, you know, any any tips you want to leave with the listeners in regards to going into the, you know, law practice and, and law field and things of that nature? Yeah, I uh, have some tips for just in general. I say, um, you know, go don't go into it with a cockiness. Um, don't go into it being competitive. Go into law school, make connections, be friendly. If you would have told me in law school that I would have started my own firm and that I would have needed every single friend that I made as a connection and as a resource, I would have laughed in your face. Now, I couldn't be more thankful to have those people. Um, so just be nice and, you know, help people out. Um, and, you know, as a woman, I um, strongly urge women, you know, don't use your sexuality in a way um, to get ahead in your career. You know, you don't want to make being a woman any less of an issue so you, you know use your brain sexuality isn't the way to get ahead mm. great knowledge you know great tips <laughs> thank and, you you know person who's great at what they do so i definitely look forward to making connections with you and, and contacting you further uh appearances you know and, and just putting more people with you who may need family absolutely uh, case. 
and uh, I'll definitely go ahead and, and keep you uh, keep you aboard and keep you locked in. You know, I absolutely. You Thank on. you so much. so much. Yeah, thank you for having me. <laughs> All right, you have a great day. You too. Thank you. Thank you. Will I ride? Will I ride? Yeah. This ain't no podcast, it is a broadcast. Yeah. Yo, this the smartest and dumbest you ever heard. Intelligent and ignorant, you heard it first. Sippin' on this brown with a brown skin Cognac and caramel skins with time beard Who you love, who you hate, well let's talk about it The hottest topics and best believe we ain't going gothic Hotter than the tropics, you looking forward, you know we got it See the bigger picture, no microscopic We the livest, know you tuned in Yeah, we know you tuned in, nothing but a G thing All we missing is juice and gin Tying up the loose ends, we ain't asked for your two cents Special guests every single day and still no new friends Calm down, youngin', I know you see that we running I promise that this ain't nothing compared to what's really coming Andre, I ain't talking 3,000, I'm talking drumming off the glass when I dunk it, it's geese, just say you love it. Uh, this that ignorant issue like, yeah, getting cheeky on the mic, one, two, one, two. This that ignorant issue like, you know, sports, social commentary, women in life, yeah. This that ignorant issue like, uh-huh, getting cheeky on the mic, one,